I love coming to visit your church because I get to see faces that I'm familiar with, and I really have an affection for many in this room here in particular. I have an affection for Calvin. We go back many years. There was a young man I met just this morning named Benaiah. Benaiah is one of my favorite names in the whole Bible because he was one of David's faithful, mighty men who stood sturdy. He went into a pit and slew a lion on a snowy day. That's a faithful, mighty man of the king. And I look at Calvin as being the same way, by way of endurance. He is about 37 years as a pastor in this place. 36 years as a pastor, through many dangers, toils, and snares, he has stood firm. I praise God for the way that the Lord has upheld you, Calvin. And I also think of the text that was read about it was good when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. I admit that yesterday I was aware of a certain house in our state, a very big house in our state. In fact, I hear it's nearby here. I suppose if you could be out on the front sidewalk yesterday around uh, 3 or 4 p.m., there could have been a large roar from that big house that you could have heard as there was, wasn't there a football game that was played yesterday? And wasn't there an entire state that was set free from a decade-long enslavement, a ball and chain of service to the state, to the South? Liberty, freedom, and there was exhilaration in the big house yesterday. But you know what? We come to the house of the Lord, and there's a lot more exhilaration that we can enjoy here because we have been set free from an eternal enslavement. That's kind of the theme I'd like to talk about this morning. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25 and the year of Jubilee, which signals that slaves can be set free. Let's just read a medley of verses from this chapter, Leviticus 25, and let's begin reading at verse 8 through 13. You are to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths of years, namely 49 years. Then you shall sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound a horn all through your land. And you shall thus consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family. You shall have the 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow, nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather from its untrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you, and you shall eat of its crops out of the field. And on the year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. If you make a sale, moreover, to your friend, or buy from your friend's hand, you shall not wrong one another. Corresponding to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy from your friend. He is to sell to you according to the number of years of its crops. 
its proportion to the extent of the years, you shall increase its price. And in proportion to the fewness of the years, you shall diminish its price. For it is a number of crops he is selling to you. So you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear the Lord your God, for I am the Lord your God. Now turn with me to verse 47. Now if the means of a stranger or a sojourner with you become sufficient, and a countryman of yours become so poor in regard to him as to sell himself to a stranger who is sojourning with you, or to the descendants of a stranger's family... He shall have redemption right after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him. And now down to verse 54. Even if he is not redeemed by these means, he shall still go out in the year of Jubilee and his sons with him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we we thank you that we who are prisoners can be set free. And we pray that as we look to your word that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us hearts to understand. Please give me a mouth to speak and may you be glorified by this time together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just imagine with me if a student graduates with a fine arts degree from Adrian College, and he gets his dream job at the Louvre Museum in France, where he is able to be a tour guide and able to guide people through the galleries of masterpieces. As he begins his job, he has this sense of thrill and exhilaration because he's overwhelmed by the breathtaking beauty of the masterpieces that he's displaying. But then, after a number of days and weeks and months, he begins to get monotonous in his approach, because he's lost that sense of initial thrill and exhilaration. His presentation becomes monotone, downright robotic, so that his supervisor at the Louvre calls him into the office and says, What's the problem? What's gone wrong? And the young man fears that he's going to get the word that he's fired and he's done and he's sent back home to Adrian in shame. But instead, the supervisor says to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a day off. I just want you to stroll the galleries and just look at the paintings. Just look at the paintings. You've lost your first love I want you to just look at the paintings and restore that sense of exhilaration. And that's what he does. And he walks through the galleries and he contemplates the realities and he has that sense of exhilaration restored to him. Look at it be that as you've come to the house of God today, maybe you've lost your sense of exhilaration and you've lost that sense of thrill at what the Lord has done for you. All I want you to do today is to spend time as we come into the house of God is just to look at the paintings. Look at the paintings. In fact, if we went to the book of Leviticus here, where we are, we find this is a book that is full of paintings, full of typological prophetic 
pictures. So I see them on the wall here. But in the book of Leviticus, pictures and types of a glorious one who is to come. For example, if you would think of the 16th chapter, you've got the Day of Atonement. And there is this picture of this scapegoat. The high priest comes and he represents the multitudes of people who stand behind him and the mountain range of their sin before a holy God. And the high priest comes and takes his hands and puts them on the head of that scapegoat. All those sins downloaded onto that scapegoat. And that scapegoat is then sent out into the wilderness until he's gone, gone, gone. And so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's a picture of a glorious one who would come. Or the 15th chapter, it speaks of a leper who's filthy and is isolated from the rest of the people of the camp. He puts his hand over his mouth and says, unclean, unclean to anyone who would come near. But then it speaks of how that leper is cleansed of his sin. And he goes to a priest who declares that he is indeed clean. There's a ceremony in that 15th chapter that speaks of a bird that is taken and he's dipped into a bowl of blood and his red wingtips now, having been stained, he's set free to fly free over the field. Those red wingtips going off set free. That's a picture that that blood that other pigeon that was slain and whose blood was in that bowl. That's a picture as well on the wall of the book of Leviticus about this glorious one who would come, who would set us free. Well, I'm going to come to a third picture in the book of Leviticus as it's a gallery full of type shadows of the Lord Jesus. And here we see the account of the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee and the setting of someone free is also a picture of the glorious Savior who would come. We're going to look at this chapter 25 in three main headings. We'll have kind of a dramatic exposition, just working through how Jubilee worked in ancient times. We'll look first at calamity. We'll look second at remedy. Then we'll look third at liberty. So come on, let's look at this passage here on the year of the Jubilee. Think with me of an ancient Israelite. Imagine back in the Old Testament time, there's a man named Abishai. He lives near Bethlehem. He has four sons. Abishai had a very industrious father who farmed all 500 acres of the land inheritance of his family. And when Abishai's father died, he inherited all 500 acres. And as Abishai grew older, he gradually delegated more and more of his plantation duties to his sons. You see, Abishai had four sons of his own. And eventually, these 500 acres would be distributed among his four sons, 125 acres each, the family inheritance. Now, three of Abishai's sons walked in their father's way because Abishai was a man like Job who was blameless, 
upright, feared God, and shunned evil. They were hard-working like their dad, Abishai. But Abishai had this one black sheep. His son's name was Samuel. He was a prodigal grief to Abishai's heart. You see, Samuel often would secretly leave his post at his plow, and Abishai would look, he's gone, where is he? And he'd find him off swimming in the river, or off bedding on rooster fights with his buddies, or one time he even found him off in the house of a prostitute. You see, Sammy was a dirty, filthy son. Well, in the course of time, Abishai the dad died, leaving four rich farms, 125 acres each, to his sons. They were now married, and they all had children, and they had the hope of looking forward to skimming off wealth as cream from their many acres of crops. But sadly, the responsibilities of wife and children and personal ownership didn't do Samuel any better because Samuel, that black sheep son through negligence, his fields were unproductive, they were overgrown, drunkenness had set in. Oh, he had a wife and she gleaned what she could from the fields to feed her hungry children. But then one night it, it happened. The house and the barn of Samuel were set ablaze. You see, there was arson as his business and gambling creditors had come to wreak their vengeance. He'd not paid off his debts. And when all of the smoke cleared in the morning, Samuel stood at the door of his oldest brother. See him there? He's, he's homeless. He's over his head in debt. He has in his arm his burned-to-death infant three-year-old daughter charred at his side. And then he has at his other arm his hysterically weeping wife. And then standing in front of him at his brother's door is his three sons, all with blank stares. You see, he's in trouble. He's in big trouble. In fact, look at verse 25 of Leviticus 25. Verse 25. I can make it 20. Yes, 25. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kinsman is to come and to buy back what his relative has sold. You see, Samuel is in debt, like envisioned by Verse 25, or look at verse 39a, 39. If a countryman of yours becomes so poor, this is the condition Samuel had arrived at, with regard to you that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave's service. Or look what it says in 47a. Now if the means of a stranger or of a sojourner with you becomes sufficient, so that a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard as to sell himself. You see, come to the point of poverty. So that to sell himself. That's the condition that Samuel had arrived at. That's what's 
being discussed in the 25th of Leviticus, the theme of calamity. That's what's in view. Now, come to the second main point by way of our dramatic exposition. That would be remedy. Remedy. Come on back with me to that old covenant setting. And there the, the oldest brother, seeing his black sheep brother Samuel, is convinced that now Samuel must be dealt with justly and responsibly. So the oldest brother calls a summit at the city gates there in Bethlehem. Kind of reminds us of, of the book of Ruth when there was a summit gathering at the city gates. But here in this account of Samuel that we're drawing up, his brothers are there in the city gate. And all of his creditors to whom Samuel owes money are at the city gate. And the elders are at the city gate. And there at the city gate, the oldest brother holds court with Samuel, the defendant, sitting in the gate. And the oldest brother admits to everybody that we have Samuel here. He is our lawless, sinful brother. He's a drunkard brawler. He's engaged in adultery exploits. He's neglected his family. And then the oldest brother recites the debt load of his younger brother Samuel to all. And then he reads from the law, Leviticus 25, 25. And there he says there, If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. And the oldest brother says that, My brother Samuel's property here, it's worth only a fraction of all of his debt. And I am the kinsman redeemer. I am the Goel, his oldest brother. And combined with all of my other brothers, we do have means sufficient to redeem and pay off his debts. But if we were to do that, that would exhaust all of our reserves. So, in the interest of my little brother Samuel's soul, I and my fellow brothers are surrendering our rights and obligations to his estate as the kinsman redeemer. And Maybe they removed their sandals and said, we are not going to carry out our kinsman obligation. However, here is the plan that we propose to satisfy the problem of our brother Samuel. I propose that Samuel's farm be sold off to the highest bidder, his 125 acres. Then, that all of Samuel's debt be consolidated under the largest creditor, who happens to be, Barzillai, who is a Gentile from the tribe of Dan, 110 miles up north, and Barzillai is to be paid off all of those debts by, one, the sale of Samuel's property, <clears throat> and then he is also re to receive Samuel as, listen, a sold slave, as an indentured servant on his estate up in the north of Dan. And I realize that the wife and three sons of our brother Samuel need to be cared for, we will take up that responsibility, I and my brothers. We will care for them, and we will provide for their needs here in Bethlehem. We will pay the expense as their kinsmen. And then he reads, look at 2547, where it says, Now with the means of a strange of yours or a sojourner with you becomes sufficient. And a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to him as to sell himself to a stranger who is sojourning with you. 
or to the descendants of a stranger's family. And look at verse 50. He then, with his purchaser, shall calculate from the year he sold himself to him up to the year of the Jubilee, and the price of his sale shall correspond to the number of years. It is like the days of a hired man that he will be with him. And look at verse 53. Like a hired man, year by year, he shall be with him. That is up in the north in this case. And he shall not rule over him with severity in your sight. Even if he is not redeemed by these means, he shall go out in the year of Jubilee, he and his sons with him. And then the older brother, having read that passage in the city gates, turns to his younger brother Samuel and says, Samuel, by the calendar, it's 17 years to the next Jubilee year. And my hope is, little brother Samuel, that by then your debt will be paid and that you, Samuel, will be made wise. And the court convened in the city gates. And then the morning after the next Sabbath, Samuel, having buried his charred daughter, Samuel bid a tear-filled farewell to his wife and his three sons and his rich acreage of soil that he'd forfeited and lost all by his folly, and Samuel set out northward. 110 miles to the tribe of Dan, that area, to the house of Barzillai. And though Samuel was thankful that his family was mercifully well cared for, Samuel feared that he would never see them or his homeland ever again. That's what's in view here in the 25th of Leviticus. Calamity, we saw. Secondly, remedy. Now, thirdly, by way of exposition, consider liberty. Liberty. Well, for Samuel, up in the north country in Dan with Barzillai, the years passed slowly and painfully. Every year would bring a one-month-long visit from his wife who'd come from Bethlehem up to Dan. His boys really never had any interest in going northward. Didn't want to see the deadbeat dad. Had too many charred and scarring memories. But the wife would come back down south every year and basically say, you know, Samuel's a new man. There, there, there are clear patterns of diligence in him. He's become Barzillai's most trusted household servant. And he hasn't swallowed a drop of alcohol in years. He's contrite. He's sensitive he speaks in tender tones. He spends the evenings up in his, his loft there in the barn of Barzillai meditating on the Scriptures. He knows so many of them by heart. He's a changed man. Well, down in Bethlehem, his brothers desired to believe it, but for too long they'd learned to distrust their younger brother. And the sons of Samuel? Well, they had such bad memories... They hoped what Mum said was true, but they feared he was still the same old deadbeat dad. Now, for Samuel, up in the north country, the days were filled with all kinds of remorse. In mercy, the specter of his charred daughter in his memory faded, and he was able to confess his sins to the Lord and repent 
that he'd abused his family, that he'd squandered his rich blessing. And he believed that he had been forgiven because he read the Scriptures. He read about the one in Exodus 33 about whom it is said, The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And he'd read about how a leper could be cleansed and could be set free. And he'd read about how a scapegoat could take the mountain of one sin far, far away until they were gone. Yet he, he, he yearned and he, he longed, even he dreamed about the day that he would be released from his long servitude, from his enslavement there up in Dan. He dreamed of the time when he would be released, in fact, in the 15th chapter, it speaks about the bird being released. It's the Hebrew word, deror, being released to fly in the open field. He thought, someday I'm going to fly free from here like a bird. And he, he'd read about the way that the sins could be carried away and I'd be released from my sin. He would dream about that day when he would make a blessed journey southward and he would reach that ridge overlooking his ancestral inheritance and that rich land would revert to his name and then he would make things right with his brothers and his wife and his sons and he would think in his dream it would be a wonderful twilight to my life but time rolled on for Samuel in the north and God gave him a blessed contentedness in his work until early one evening he heard this sound as he was up in his loft. It was a sound. It was a strange sound, but a sound he had heard once before when he was a small boy 50 years earlier. It was on the Day of Atonement. And he heard as he was in this loft this, this trumpet, this piercing sound in the air, this shrill but bold tone. Then he heard these, these steps coming up the staircase to his loft where he was. And it was old Barzillai, and the door burst open, and old Barzillai said, Samuel, Samuel, it's the ram's horn that you're hearing. It's the ram's horn. You're a free man. Look with me at 9 through 11 of Leviticus 25. You shall have the 50th month of the Jubilee. Let's begin at verse 9. And you shall sound a ram's horn abroad on the 10th day of the 7th month on the day of atonement. You shall sound a horn all throughout the land. You shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release. That's that Hebrew word, the roar a release through the land to all the inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family, and you shall have the 50th year as a jubilee. And that's exactly what was happening here in the life of our Samuel in this dramatic exposition. And Barzillai said to him, You're not just a free man. You are a wealthy man. The land of your fathers is now your land. May the Lord bless you and make His face to shine upon you. May He cause you to enjoy great 
peace. And it was the next morning then that Samuel packed up everything that was his in his loft into a knapsack and he bid farewell to Barzillai and he began the 110-mile journey southward. And he traveled toward that ancestral land. And when he finally appeared at that ridge that overlooked the valley of that ancestral land, he apprehensively gazed down below and he rubbed his eyes because there, ascending up the hillside toward him, were seven figures. There were three swift-footed young men leading the way up to him. And there was one colorfully dressed stately woman not far behind. And there were three earnest-looking older men bringing up the rear. Who were they? Sons. Wife. Brothers. And Samuel, feeling this sense of exhilaration, feeling this sense of thrill, as if he were dreaming a dream, fell on his face and said, Oh God, thank you for Jubilee. Thank you, Lord, for Jubilee. And that's our exposition. Calamity and remedy and liberty. So that's the picture. You see the picture, the type of a glorious one who would come, the Lord Jesus who would set us free in this gallery of the book of Leviticus. Let's just consider three implications of this type of the Lord Jesus who would come to set his people free and bring us exhilaration and bring us thrill as we're here in the house of God. First consider with me here, we see a shadow of Christ's redemption of sinners. You see it there? There's a shadow of Christ's redemption of sinners. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Notice what it says beginning at verse 16. Luke Chapter 4. Lord Jesus Christ, this, this is the one who fulfills the glory of the Leviticus painting. He's arrived now. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Listen, now this is Isaiah 61. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach peace, the gospel of peace to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim a release. There's that word again, release. Remember how in Jubilee one was to be given a release? Jesus says in Isaiah 61, the Hebrew word here is doror, release. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He, Christ is the one who sounds the ram's horn in his ministry 
that my arrival signals the coming of Jubilee. And there is a release for the prisoners. I've come to set men and women free. And, and do you realize that from Christ's first coming to his second coming, about which Pastor Calvin read in Revelation 21, this is the year of Jubilee. This is the year of Jubilee. All of Jesus' ministry, from Dan to Beersheba, as he walked those paths of Palestine in his preaching the good news of the gospel, he was basically sounding a ram's horn of release to those who were imprisoned in their sin. And he was saying that they can be set free. And that's what we're about here at the Reformed Baptist Church of Lenaway, at Harbor Reformed Baptist Church. We are to be sounding the ram's horn of release that prisoners can be set free. Just, just consider the rich theological tapestry that's here. Think, think with me of in the beginning there was Adam, our father. You know, Abishai was the father of those boys and he held this great estate. Well, Adam is our father. He had deed and title to not just a small land, but he had deed and title to the earth. Paradise was given to Adam. But what happened? By our father's reckless sin, he forfeited his inheritance of the earth because he was our representative. And as our father, because he sinned, our father Adam incurred a infinite debt to justice, the justice of God, and he lost deed and title to the land of fellowship with God. And so we ourselves, as his children, We've lost that blessed inheritance that we had. But we can't charge our father Adam with the crime because each and every one of us, by our own personal performance, we have reaffirmed his rebellion against God. Each and every one of us, by our moral track record, we are filthy Samuels, aren't we? Uh, if I would have you come up and tell what you've done, Samuel was a filthy son and, and, and you're a filthy daughter. And I'm a filthy child of God. And all of us, if we'd be put in the defendant's seat, we would be charged with high crimes against God. And we deserve to be enslaved because of our sin, just like Samuel was enslaved. Because we've sold our soul to the devil. And as a result, we are cursed with thorns and thistles. We labor by the sweat of our brow. And ultimately, we are all doomed to be sentenced, not just to the original threat against Adam was a sentence of death, but all of us are sentenced to a second death. Man is destined to die once, and then comes the judgment, and we're all in big trouble, sentenced to enslavement. We can't shift the blame to anyone. It's our own fault. We are treacherous. But praise God that there was who came to us, and he took our place in our enslavement. Think of Samuel enslaved there up in the north country, a ball and chain of enslavement. There's one who came to us in our enslavement. The Lord Jesus says about him, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even think of how in the upper room the Lord Jesus Christ, the night in which he was betrayed, the night before he would die, he took on the 
attire of a servant to wash the feet. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ came to us in our cell of enslavement, and He wore our stripes. He took on our sin. He was like that scapegoat. There He is hanging on the cross. He is suffering. He's paying a ransom price. All of our sins were downloaded onto the infinite soul of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of your sins and my sins of word and thought and deed were laid upon Christ the scapegoat. And there He hung on that cross. What's He doing there? Saying, my God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? What's going on there? He's paying a price. He's paying a ransom price, a debt that we owe until He said, it is finished! Which means the price is paid in full. And on the basis of that, paying off our forever eternal debt, where we would be not just enslaved for a few years in the north like the Upper Peninsula, but we're doomed to be enslaved to the Arctic outer darkness of wrath under the Father's anger forever. The Lord Jesus Christ endured that wrath until it was finished. And our debt was paid. Because there's no more debt, we are set free to again have our eternal inheritance. Listen to what Thomas Scott says in commenting theologically about this. He mentions the statement and says, You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, He became poor, so that through His poverty we might become rich. That's what's being spoken about here. We who were enslaved had Christ take on our debt so that we could have His wealth. Thomas Scott says this, He, Christ, is our Redeemer. And He assumed our nature. He is our kinsman Redeemer that He might ransom our souls from Satan bondage, into which we had been sold for the debts which we had incurred and for the crimes that we had committed, nay, into which we had foolishly sold ourselves through love of sinful pleasures, that, together with our freedom, He might buy back our forfeited and wasted inheritance, without which we must otherwise have been to all eternity in miserable poverty. You see, Christ paid our debt in full with the blood and the sweat and the tears that were squeezed out of Him on that cross by the wrath of His Almighty Father until He said, it is finished. That black cup of wrath He drank down to the very last drop. So there's nothing left for His friends. Because if there was only one drop left, that one drop touching our tongue would have caused us to weep and wail and gnash our teeth for eternity. But it's finished. Paid in full. And so we, having this terrible debt, are set free like a bird on a wing. You see, this is what is being taught here. In fact, I mentioned about you here at Lenaway. That's the Ramshorn Gospel that you've been commissioned to preach to everybody in this county. And even back in Holland, we have that same theme and that same commission to sound the Ramshorn of the Gospel. You're a prisoner. You're a slave to sin. You can be set free. Christ has come. In fact, 
we used to have as our logo uh, French horn. Some of you young people would come to our church and you would see, it would say, a Harbor Church, and there was a, a French horn. It was our way of saying it's a ram's horn with a Bible in the middle. And that is our commission to, to sound the gospel, that you can be set free. And I know even as you sit here this morning, you say, come on, Pastor Mark, but you, but you don't even know what I've done. You don't know where I've been the last year, the last month, ha, even the last week. Uh, I, I can say this. I know your conscience tells you that your debt is too great. But the gospel ram's horn blasts Christ's grace is greater still. You may say, you know, you talk about that filthy Samuel and your little old covenant story there. Well, well, that's me. I'm filthier still. But I'm telling filthy as you are, you can be set free. All, every debt that you ever had can be paid up in full and you can be released from the weight of that sin. All I'm saying is this morning, come to Christ. Come to Christ and it's jubilee for you. And you should have that sense of exhilaration far beyond what those people in an arbor ever knew yesterday because you are free not just from a week of depression, but you are set free from an eternal depression as it will be well with your soul for eternity. But come on, secondly, just consider with me a, a second implication. There's also a picture here of the Christian's emancipation from sin. Of the Christian's emancipation from sin. That's a big word, emancipation. Ever hear that before? Didn't Abraham Lincoln sign the Emancipation Proclamation where slaves were set free? Well, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus has done here. He's, he's, he set us free, not just from the penalty of our sin, but He set us free from the power of our sin. Just consider how Samuel, there he is up in the north country, and he gets a farewell from Barzillai as he heads southward to his inheritance. He's on a trip, and it's going to take a while for him to finish that journey, kind of like the Christian life. You believe in the Lord Jesus, and it's going to be a while before you actually inherit what is to come, the promised land, even that Calvin read about, the new heavens and the new earth. And I became a Christian at 17, and I'm now in my early 60s. I've been on a long journey. But do you ever, in that long journey, find yourself on your way home? And let's say that, like Samuel was on his way home, maybe 30, 40 miles south, but Barzillai up north has second thoughts. Wait a minute, I just let go of my best slave. And he gets a posse of his neighbors, and they get on horses, and they gallop, 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 until they find Samuel, and they say, Samuel, come back. Come back to your old enslavement. And you ever get that kind of enticement from the enemy who used to be your old slave master? He comes to you, come on back, come on back to your old sins. And he, he sprays that perfume, and he shows that negligee, and he opens up his wallet and shows all those colorful pictures from the far country. He says, come on back, come on back. Now, what is Samuel supposed to do at a moment like that? When Barzillai calls him back to his old enslavement, Samuel and wise to turn to him and say, I believe in the promise of Jubilee. I believe in the promise that I am free. Barzillai, you've got the wrong man. I don't do that anymore. I have a new master. Romans chapter 6. 
I am no longer a, a slave to sin, but we say I'm a slave to righteousness, and I set my face like flint toward the new Jerusalem that Pastor Calvin read about. You see, the reality is we are not old men anymore who engage in the old service, but having believed on Christ, our sins have been forgiven, and no longer is He our taskmaster, but we are set free. It says in 1 Peter 1, 3, it says that we have been brought into a living hope to obtain an inheritance reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. The inheritance that will be revealed. We, in this long journey, it's been a long journey, hasn't it, brother, for you and me all these decades The Lord has cared for us through many dangerous toils and snares. How in the world has it been that we haven't been hogtied and taken back to the far country of our sin? It's because the the, the whole Trinity has been conspiring for us. The, the, The Father has been causing all things to work for our good. The Son has been interceding for us. And wouldn't it be true if we could, like McShane says, if we could hear Him praying for us in the next room. That reality, His speaking our name would embolden us. But He's been praying for us all these years, brother. And the Spirit has been striving within us to keep on keeping on. And He's sent angels to be escorting us. You see, He was began a good work in us, brother, in this long Christian life before our inheriting the promised land after we breathe our last. We're safe. We are secure because Jubilee is ours. And there is this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, and fade. Like it says in Romans 8, I am convinced then as you and I, old brother, travel, and you younger ones too, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor height nor depth can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We are secure in this long Christian journey, have been believing in the promises of Jubilee for one year, five years, 15 years, 40 years, we're on our way home to our inheritance. And that leads us to the last point, which is a preview of the Christian's release into glory. A preview of the Christian's release into glory. Just think of how that, that first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, He announced Jubilee. When Christ first came, He announced that prisoners can be set free. But In his second coming, because he is coming back, there's going to be a total and perfect jubilee. Because the gospel's ram horn that Jesus sounded announced released for captive prisoners. But when Christ comes back, there will be a final trumpet. And that trumpet will be sounded and there will be an eternal release into the inheritance. Just consider 1 Thessalonians 4 and how this is really what Pastor Calvin read about in Revelation 21, when you behold the new heavens and the new earth. It's like a, like a valley down below, this wonderful inheritance. Look what it says here. For 4.14 of 1 Thessalonians, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and it says in verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel. And what does it say? With the what? With the what? The trumpet of God. This is the ram's horn. This is the ultimate ram's horn. With the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be always with the Lord. You see, there is going to be the final ram's horn sounded when Christ comes back the second time. And that ram's horn sounds, this is the ultimate year of jubilee. And just like those who are raptured up and look down and they see this new heavens and new earth, this glorious inheritance, the time will soon come when we shall hear that final ram's horn. Calvin, you know Gary Hendricks, right? Gary Hendricks died just, oh, it was a little over a year ago, and and I was able to be at his funeral, and we put his casket down into a hole there in Mebane at a Presbyterian seminary. Then everybody went off for sandwiches and cold cuts, but I, I stayed behind, and I just watched until it was just me and the caretaker. And I asked him if I could take a shovel of that red dirt, and I I tossed a shovel, thud, and another shovel, thud, on Gary's casket. And I wondered if Gary could hear it, the old lion. The old lion would roar when he preached. Would, would we ever hear from him again? It was nothing, nothing. But then I went off for cold cuts, and I came back about an hour later, and the caretaker had filled the whole thing in, and the lion was dead, and his story was done, right? It's wrong. Because at that Presbyterian seminary, in a day in the future, there's going to be a trumpet that's going to sound. And the old lion is going to hear that trumpet. And the old lion is going to come up. And he is going to ascend there. And he will be raptured up. And could it be that he will see maybe uh, three of his children? Maybe see his wife, Sherry. And be able to see maybe three of his fellow elders. And the glorious reunion it will be for those who die or those who are there when Christ returns. We have an eternal inheritance, beloved. Don't be discouraged by things that we see here and now. Believe in the promise of Jubilee. And the best thing about Jubilee is not just seeing children who are saved or a wife who is saved or fellow elders who are saved with you. But the best thing is that you'll see the Savior. The Savior who saved you. The one who hung on that cross. And even though they taunted Him to come down, He wouldn't come down until it was finished. Oh, He could have come down. And He could have come down and He could have kicked their skulls into the next galaxy. But instead, He hung until He had paid the full price. And it is finished. You see, we will see the Savior who loved us. It will be a glorious reunion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, together we shall be with the Lord forever. Dream about that. Dream about that. That is something worth being thrilled about. That is something worth being exhilarated about. Feed on these promises. The promises of Jubilee. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for these paintings in the Scripture. And we pray that we wouldn't lose our first love. Cause us to continue to be in love with the Gospel and our Savior. And cause us to be sounding that trumpet.
to prisoners who need to be set free. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you gazed upon that painting, perhaps the hymn in the Trinity Hymn Book 392 comes to mind, blow ye the trumpet, blow, the gladly solemn sound. The year of jubilee is come, return ye ransomed sinners home. Notice that fourth verse, ye slaves of sin and hell, your liberty receive and safe in Jesus dwell and blessed in Jesus live the year of jubilee let's take our trinity hymn books turning to 392 and sing this together in closing 392 
you, brother, for taking us to that gallery and having us look on that painting. Uh, we will be meeting about 1.45 for the afternoon service. Enjoy your lunch. Mark, you'll make your way to the back, and uh, we will see you at 1.45. Enjoy it.